turned out to be completely unreliable asshole. Hi, Tim. Hi, Brian. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? Good, and hello, everyone listening to and welcome to another episode of Dismembering Horror, episode 16, in fact. Wow. And this is that is... really where we're at? Yeah. Good Lord. And this is the show where we where we dismember horror. Tim and I are filmmakers. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us. That's right. You know, you know, just try to be a little more subjective there. Cut those heads right off. <laughs> and we, we talk about anything we found noteworthy after watching a, a horror film that we've been wanting to see or excited to watch. Yeah. And uh, we last last week, we wrapped up our J-horror outing. Sure did. We watched four J-horror movies. Man. And... Uh, that was good. Yeah, I kind of was curious what you thought of it now that we had some... You know, I felt like we should give it some closure since it was an exercise and a, a, a happening... Um, well, we saw some pretty sort of common thread themes, yeah, which well, was cool. What like were those the, for the, you? The kind of the guilt and shame and the curse stuff themes. Yeah. Like, you know, holding on to, uh, holding on to your guilt over doing something bad yeah. or, or the, the curse of, or the ramifications of what happens when you when you wrong somebody mm-hmm. and that coming back to get you. I feel like between Tetsuo and X day and o- Onibaba a lot on sexual repression too. Yeah. I th- I'd agree with that for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it was fun. <laughs> I mean, it's cool to see how, you know, what, what a different culture is sort of honing in on as, as like what's important to their storytelling in horror. Because I think, as sort of a general rule, horror kind of serves this nice um, sort of balance of, like, trying to scare you, but also having these thematic undertones that speak to sort of a larger, potentially a larger sort of cultural or social thing that's going on mm-hmm. in the zeitgeist or whatever. So. And it's cool when you just, it's it's more like, it's a product of, this is a Japanese filmmaker and the film was made in Japan. It's not such an intentional thing. It is cool just to sort of get these different flavors and outlooks that are inherent to the work. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I had spoken with a friend of mine. Well, he's, what is he technically? If he's my brother's wife's cousin, it's like a Mm cousin-in-law. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, I briefly was talking to him. He, he's, he, I was trying to, he's into this stuff, horror and, and get him to listen. comic book stuff and everything. And we were trying to sort of be like, he, he's, he's subscribed, I think to it, but he hasn't listened yet. Okay. <laughs> but we were talking very briefly and he was like, he's like, yeah, I haven't really ever gotten into the J horror. I'm more of a K horror guy. And I was like, cool. I'm with you, bro. I'm like, <laughs> I've been there that, but we made this turn into the J horror and it's great. Yeah. His name's lot. Jake, by the way. I love both. Yeah. K well, and now, J. Well, that's, I mean, that's sort of what I'm discovering that I also love both. Yeah. Great. And they're, and they are different. So I hope we, uh, get, have some good ones in front of us mm-hmm. of all kinds of a, a <laughs> <laughs> horror. Yep. Well, we did a 2018 film last time and we're going to travel back to 1934 whoa, 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 whoa. this time. Should we get into it? Cause I'm pretty excited to talk about this one. 
this yeah. uh, this one I watched in a film school when it was for a class called High Low Directors. Sure. So we watched like Abel Ferrara, Miss Forty Five, and stuff like that. But cool. And the the filmmaker uh, that we were talking about in that class is Edgar Ulmer, and the film we'll be talking about today is The Black Cat. Did you ever hear of Satanism, the worship of the devil, of evil? I persecuted the great modern priest of that ancient cult. And tonight, dark of the moon, the rites of Lucifer are celebrated. And if I am not mistaken, he intends you to play a part in that ritual. A very important part. Where is my wife, Karen, and my daughter? Karen? Well, what do you mean? Where is she? Okay, so I, I in rare form, but you know, it happens when it happens, uh-oh, Tim. Uh-oh, I came prepared. Uh-oh. Oh no. With a summary. <laughs> Yeehaw. I'm excited to know what it you means think of I it. don't have to do one. Yeah. And ironically, I actually wrote one for this. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well we'll both read ours then. Okay, cool. You go first. Here's here's mine. And this is perfect. We'll get a good a good swath of perspective here. Hoping you just watched it too. So this is what I, Ryan McDuffie, took away from this film. <laughs> Gone crazy with a hell-bent revenge after 15 years in a prison camp for ruining his life, Dr. Vitas Verdegast finally reaches his old foe, Hjalmar, a Satan worshiper who keeps women preserved in his underground morgue in his isolated Hungarian Art Deco home built on the ruins of a World War I fortress. <laughs> Their desire to settle their score is complicated by the presence of a honeymooning couple who, unfortunately for them, get caught up in the decades-old rivalry. Damn. You went to the other side of the storytelling than I did. You did the honeymooners perspective? Yes, yes, I did. You saw why I could go either way, but I really thought that Bela Lugosi's... uh, uh, being in the prison camp for 15 years and coming back to get revenge was... I totally agree. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. What it's about. Okay, so here's mine. Ready? This is Tim Aslan's summary of The Black Cat. A newlywed couple is paired with an unusual and creepy doctor on a train traveling through Austria. An accident forces them to stay in the home of the creepy doctor's even creepier nemesis, and they find themselves in the middle of a bizarre revenge plot and also suspended women in cases and Satan worship and Lucifer and blah, blah, blah. Everyone's a fucking creep. (laughs) Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I, could just, I could just feel your like brain just kind of escalating and wanting to explode in the sort of the madness of this film. Yeah. But what I like. Don't that, get me wrong. I love the madness. Great. Of this film. What I think what you highlighted there that I liked is how. Um, I mean, maybe this is more things that worked for us. But just real quick, since you said it was like a, a creepy guy and then an even creepier guy, <laughs> because it's fun. We sort of has this has have this yeah. hesitation to trust Bella Lugosi, yeah. who's also clearly unhinged. Totally. But it's like in the end, he is the good guy. If there was one. Right. If there was a side to choose. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Cool. How how did you rate it on our scale, which is avoid it, stream it, rent it. Or buy it. Ooh. Man. 
definitely rent this. I mean, definitely, definitely rent this. But oh, I don't know. I would almost, I would almost own this. Hmm. I. It's sort of one of those things where it's like it's gonna. It's you're gonna find this in a package thing of like Universal. Right. The Bela Lugosi Boris Karloff three right. films star. Yeah. Well, there's eight. There's seven. I thought. I think there are eight, and six of them were Universal. Oh, we can okay. look it up, but whatever. It's something like that. We're we're both <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, if you see this in a box set that is reasonable and affordable, buy it. Yeah, that's that's my take. I'm just you know we're <laughs> that's usually my like my I, I give box set buy to yeah, a lot of things yeah, we there watch. You go. Box set buy. This one I also I I give buy, but and here's why. Because when so I'll, I'll occasionally get that itch to scratch where I like want to watch old universal, mm-hmm. you know, horror films, usually, you know, usually they're monster films. Right. That's the only thing that this one doesn't have going for it is it doesn't have any like monster monsters. Right. But aside from that, this scratches all those itches for me of like when I think I yeah. just want to watch all 40 universal or, you know, movies <laughs> or whatever it is, I like actually just want to watch the black cat and I, I'm happy to revisit it. I, I yeah, that, I think for some reason, this movie, it, 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 in a weird way, isn't a monster movie. It doesn't do a lot of the things that the monster movies do, but it like scratches the itch. Yeah, aside of from that, that era, it has everything. Perfectly. You know what I mean? So, there's yeah. everything it's got everything you want from one of those except a monster. Yeah. Which is a lot of good things. Um great. Cool. All right. Well, since since we both really enjoyed it, should we talk about what worked for us? Yes, we should. What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? Okay, well, I just said how, you know, it checks all those boxes yeah. for me. What are Some those boxes? Some of those boxes. Let's, you let's got the stars. Bell Lugosi, Boris Karloff. Correct. Bringing it. <laughs> you have a honeymooning couple forced to stay at a creepy house. I'm into it. You know, the classic. The, classic. The they real crash. classic. They got to stay there. There's yep. creepy people with the servant and everything. You have ritualistic Satanism complete with a posse of devil worshippers. My favorite. Yeah, it doesn't just stop with the Satanism, but you have all the worshippers show up collection of preserved corpses you know mm. an insane man's collection of preserved so corpses, good. but who takes it very like ah, oh, my collection and also so unnatural and weird like suspended animation yeah when we're first introduced to it too it's just kind of like oh, oh like what the f- okay what? awesome <laughs> yeah what's um, going on extreme high stakes chess they're playing for the lives <laughs> yes the life of the young woman um skinning alive for revenge Mm. Uh, characters with interesting motivations and backstory and history with each other. So good. And, uh, oh yeah, and and Bach, Stoccata, and Fugue in D minor being played live. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I've got, I basically have all those too, man. Yeah. In various forms. It's so good. Um, I think for me, the, the, the sort of, the noir era film techniques and set um, 
design is so appealing mm-hmm. and 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 really just I, I mean I can't it's not nostalgia because I wasn't alive then but like it feels so comforting it's just cool yeah and I mean I remember I think I saw Frankenstein well let me think I was I was still living in Indiana so I was under five years old and I remember watching it on our little shit zenith mm-hmm. you know tv um i think it was like over a hall it was like christmas holiday and they're playing frankenstein yeah. on pbs or something like that um and i think just there's something so pleasing about the design of that whatever that universal 29 to 41 mm-hmm. era of of movie um, and this really, <clears throat> it really takes that and sort of, I think, hones in on it in a story way that's fucking cool in that, you know, which I, which I kind of like. It, you mean like how the characters say, this is quite the house you have here. Well, not even that, not just that, but just the backstory of why that house is there and that it was built on top of the ruins of a fort. Right. Well, allow it's... for this very cool. I mean, they're probably using sets from some other movie that mm-hmm. already got made, like some Errol Flynn fucking movie <laughs> in a castle or whatever. Um, but they're finding a solution to both have this really cool art deco shit which was probably in some romance movie that they filmed two weeks earlier right like yeah. so they're they're finding a solution to reuse sets i'm guessing but i'm assuming that's part of what was going on because that's what goes on well, if and then they're using a fun story technique to say like yeah, this guy's super odd and he's very eccentric and he built this really weird house, but he built it on top of the ruins of this old fort from the war. And so you can then go into the ruins and you're in this dungeony type stuff. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel I think there are other films of that era that use different sets from other things just because that's what they had. And they don't bother to kind of give it any substantive like story reason you're just suddenly in some fucking weird hall that feels super out of place but in this it never feels out of place because you've gotten that context of what this fucking building is well if so much of this is like um story wise too about the consequences of war and sort of a post-war world do you see you just talk about like you know the literal influence of the sort of setting of being post-war but do you see anything more in terms of filmmaking stylistically like how how that look is a post-war kind of feel hmm yeah i mean i guess you're sort of showing this weird dichotomy between you know the art deco kind of um what would you call that the glamour i guess or the sort Mm of the uh Oh, there's a word for this. The, like, the opulence. The thought out aesthetics to it. The... Yeah. And that it's, yeah, that it's it's opulent and kind of over the top and a little bit like pretentious almost mm-hmm. in a way. On top of the literal ruins of a fort from the war. Like that's yeah. cool. Like that's really like kind of a deep thought 
structure. Yeah, I didn't think of that. You're right as far as the Art Deco covering up this other yeah. the morgue below. Yeah, But it's, it's also cool. just what I was thinking or wondering more about was just the sort of the visual aesthetic, though, of the um, of the shadows and that sort of that seems more just sort of of the like it's set in Hungary mm-hmm. and just sort of that Eastern mm. European, you know. Well, yeah, that's interesting. It's like they, yeah, they're taking advantage of designs that will enhance the noir sort of you know what the the filming techniques and the you know the shadow and contrast stuff that. Mm-hmm. that they want to lean into because that's the signature of that time and or this particular genre of movie right. at that time. Well, so to, yeah. Yeah, to connect it to this this list I have of things that worked for me, totally the the post-war themes, yeah. post-war themes is one of them. I think the whole setup of when this takes place and where these characters are coming from, like right, their because... actual backstory is pretty sweet i loved and it's it's at that time where it's kind of like it's it's nothing's done ironically like even though you know stuff might be kind of on the nose yeah um it's in a way (laughs) where it totally works for me like i love when he says one of them i think it's the the boris i think it's a boris karloff jalmar Mm -hmm. (laughs) um says something to the effect of are we any different from those who actually died in the war we are the walking dead and gives this sort of monologue surrounding that idea it's <laughs> awesome which is you know before the walking dead took on a sort of known term it yeah. really strikes a chord and he really looks it yeah. like they made him up to look like kind of a walking corpse though according to bella lugosi's character he says ah the years have treated you i know well. the years have been kind maybe, to you maybe that's the one piece of irony like he's being ironic and sarcastic <laughs> and saying that he's like jesus well like what you said boris, boris you Karloff look like shit is a handsome man compared <laughs> he, to he is in a weird way bella's bella's just odd looking to yeah. me i know that he thought he was the end all be all like handsome <laughs> dude i know he thought that did he <laughs> oh yeah because remember i in one of our i think it's maybe our first episode i recommend dead a um, podcast called You Must Remember This. And Mm -hmm. I was at the time listening specifically to the season on Bella and and Boris. It's so fucking good. So get into that if you want. Um, It gets really, really specific about like the two of them, their relationship sort of to each other and in, I guess, to the studios and the films that they were doing. And it's fucking cool. Well, that... Those guys were the shit like of the time man they were huge so so what worked for me is not only that loaded history between the two characters but between the actors then like yeah bring up as well like they have such a presence on screen together both both, of them and both them together and they're they're both playing dudes Mm -hmm. right they're not playing supernatural monsters or like they're neither one of them have makeup or prosthetics or whatever going on so you're not they're not covered up like we're just seeing those They're two playing actors the men turned into monsters the yeah. walking dead people it's who so... are so deeply scarred by the war though that they uh, yeah they yeah. have roles that they can bring that gravitas to still right but they are humans finally and this is post frankenstein and dracula you know these this is three four years after those had come out mm-hmm. so you know it's it's like weirdly refreshing to see these two actors kind of just be guys yeah (laughs) and i love it i like it's exciting to me to see like boris 
is so quintessentially Frankenstein, right? Like that's how we think of him or right. a lot of people His think silhouette, of him. His silhouette we see at the and, beginning when he sits like, up in bed. Yeah, so yeah. And yet, like, we don't know what his fucking voice sounds like, by and large. You know what I mean? It's like we, he opens his mouth. He's got this. Which takes this, a while to do, too. Yeah. You, you know, suddenly he, you hear his, his actual voice and he's got this kind of aristocratic British accent. And you're like, oh, what the fuck? Oh, Which my, I love. Right. So can then can I mention just, I you know, as if we're. If this, if we're talking about them right now, what mm-hmm. we loved about them and their performances, their deliveries, and like what you just said about Boris Karloff, like he says, blah blah blah, has you know he's talking about Belagosi's fear of cats, and how he <laughs> says of cats is just like of cats. You yeah, know, he's he got this... a slight little lisp. Oh, but it's beautiful. Yeah, he has an intense and all-consuming horror. It's like so satisfying. It's like refined. The way he looks and sounds when he says, of cats. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, one of my notes really too is like, I, I really like Boris's acting. Mm-hmm. He's got this subdued kind of, you know, I don't even know how you describe it. It's really calm. It's he's super relaxed. Well, it's like the kind of thing where he's seen so much and been through yeah, so much and yeah. believes in so much, yet he still puts on this kind of he still carries himself a certain way. Yeah, you know, Even, despite all that. Yeah, and and, and the, I think the costuming kind of suggests this too because he's got these kind of robe-ish flowing things that are not. I mean, I don't know what was contemporary at that time necessarily well it's just visually we forget that he was in prison for 15 years and in war before that yeah so it's a sort of brings it all in his performance that gives it that weight of his history yeah um it's cool my favorite line of his is one it's famously it's like reused or my guess not famously but it's like pops up as, as a soundbite in other horror movies i've heard is when he goes um Boris Karloff goes, supernatural, perhaps, baloney, perhaps not. <laughs> there are many things under the sun. Yeah, yeah that's great. Baloney, I, I think you, because uh, <laughs> it, it, right, so, so part of the whole poll for the quote, and it's fun to hear, is uh, what's his face, Peter, going, sounds like a bunch of supernatural baloney to me. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural, perhaps Baloney, perhaps not. There are many things under the sun. <laughs> Which, I do that voice. There was something to say about those two leads, too. They were those, like, sing-songy types, you know, kind of. Well, and doesn't but... it immediately you go, oh, right, this is where Rocky Horror Picture sort of is pulling from. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that, like... You know what's this term? Okay, I'm Martha. Make, yeah, I'm making yeah. this weird motion That's why I with said my sing-songy. arm. Yeah, sing songy, like ah, oh, gee shucks, I guess sort of sort of guys. Well, our hair's well kempt, and you're looking as beautiful as ever, dear. But <laughs> yeah, by gosh, look at this castle. It's like in the open, the very opening scene. Peter's like, "Are you hungry?" And she's like, "Not at all." And he's like, "Me neither." And she's like. But I'm starving. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, what a weird thing to be like. Hey, but it what brings, are we doing? It made me like them. Yeah. I gotta yeah, say. No. So well, why, effective wh- in that. why I'm talking about this and why I had this under things that worked is so despite all that kind of 
veneer to them mm-hmm. or like stereotype to them or whatever that that we kind of see as a future audience they i still felt a lot of humanity in them and thought, yeah yeah and that's that's not always the case in these movies no so like i actually was afraid for them and wanted them to get right. out and it's like what are you doing to this poor girl yeah well that kind of leads into my next note having uh, sort of said how much we like all these characters because they're we like them but objectively they're fucking creeps like this movie is like everybody's a creep ball like hardcore creep yeah like the drivers a fucking weirdo the <laughs> the cops are weirdos the the, right, ser- the, the cops the servants are fucking like just weird like everybody's so especially the men are such creeps like fucking bella in right. in the f- opening when he sh- is sharing the cabin with them the their little mm-hmm. quarters uh, on the train with them he like caresses her hair while she's sleeping and her husband's sleeping right next to him it's like dude that and then is he catches so... her and just yeah. like stares him down it's great <laughs> it's like what the fuck is going on yeah and then his excuse is like well i'm sorry she's just so beautiful well, no, he says that, and that she, she reminded remind, yeah, him. Yeah. But then that but then it builds on that. That's I, not just No, I yeah. I'm I'm agreeing. It's it's well constructed, but everybody's a fucking well, it's, creep. It's a great seed plant <laughs> for what's to come. Yeah. Because okay, one of my I think my I don't know, maybe it's not a scene, but sort of a, a section of the film. It feel it kind of plays like an extended scene, is just sort of an early culmination of how we know these people are like there, there's something wrong with them. The creeps. Mm-hmm. It's when they're getting like settled that first night there. Oh yeah. And you're just kind of like, what is, what the hell? Okay, like this, he, he just drugged her, and like then she wakes up and is like <laughs> and acting back, not, kind yeah. of odd. Yeah, and then like he kills a cat, and then dude, what that that whole mo- <laughs> that moment of him just freaking out, grabbing a pen knife and throwing it and killing a cat, right? Whoa. It's, it's so fucking out there. And like how he interrupts him, it's kind of this ultimate remember he interrupts uh uh Boris sorry, Boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi. Peter walks in on them. Pardon my intrusion. Oh right, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. sort of so obvious they were like talking about some heavy stuff. Some it's a serious cool, stuff. It's a cool camera move. That sequence has a very nice um kind of camera slide where you start with with uh Bella I think is kind of center shot and Boris is in the foreground over the shoulder. Mm. Um, but it's more of a kind of sideways two. You're, you're seeing both of them kind not you're seeing both of them kind of at three quarters opposed to each other. And the camera slides to the right and causes them to be in a more traditional over the shoulder. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, Bella, I'm trying to, like, yeah, Bella, Bella leans into that shot, kind of into the desk. Vitus. Yeah. Vertigas. Which is really cool. And then they stay with that shot when Peter enters and they slide back out of it and create a new wide that has this triangle of the three of them, which yeah. is really cool. Like, it's just fun, cool camera work. Well, and what I was getting to with all that stuff that's going on in mm-hmm. that, that section it's just all working to like how so I think my favorite example in a film, and maybe it has to do with sort of 
the time that it's set in, but where this like veneer of pleasantries, it's mm. not enough to hide this underlying discomfort. Well, and even one step further, there are times when they they are kind of there's no pretense of what's going on. They all know that everybody's got some sort of weird angle going on. And they even through that keep up the sort of polite veneer. Right. Because what are you going to do? Because it's it's safe. They're just accepting this is what's going on. Right. Like when... when I don't think they're accepting it. It's... They're just like, this is what it is. No, what it is, it's like them, as long as they are acting in this pleasantries mode, we are safe. Ah, you feel free. Yes, you may use the phone. Ah, sorry, the car isn't working. But even like, for example, when Bella steals the key Mm -hmm. and then he goes in and he talks to uh, Joan... And he leaves. Boris sees him come out and like Bella just walks down the stairs and hands Boris the key. Mm -hmm. And it's like they're just sort of they're just like, yeah, this is what's going on. There's it creates a very unsettling feeling of like, when's the fucking shoe going to (laughs) drop? Yeah. And that I think is is probably to me one of the bigger takeaways of what's working with this movie is that the, all the creepiness all the sort of stiltedness combined with weird provincial politeness whatever and nobody ever really having like going yo what the fuck is going on right now like nobody ever really sort of brings it up and says i'm not cool with this mm-hmm. Having that extend all the way to the point when Peter and Joan finally go, we're getting the fuck out of here, is is just one long buildup. And we feel it as an audience, I think, it is, where yeah. we're waiting for something to happen. And so when Peter finally is like, let's get the fuck out of here, we're like, yes, get out and of there. And it's great that he does that rather than yeah. the frustrating thing that's in you know newer movies all the time. That, right. That annoying thing is they stay for us. Yeah. Way past when one should get out of there and we lose we lose the train of the film. We lose that sympathy. Yeah, and so when they do try to bail and they get stopped and and Bella's quite, quite fucking, literally with yeah. a servant at yeah, the door. Yeah, the servant fucking and he clobbers just, like, they're him. all karate chopping each other. <laughs> it really is. It's like a weird G.I. Joe judo chop, just like kapomp. Yeah, I love the kind of the old little like the fights that they have where it's not about having this big like punch out. It's just kind of they kind of just like grab each yeah. other's necks and kind of hit each other's necks and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. It's weird and stilted and, and like kind of kind of really what shitty fights are like in real life. Yeah. Like I, I worked in bars for a long time and. Most fights are just guys grabbing each other's shirts. Yeah, I really felt and, like... And just holding each other and sort of, sh- you know, yeah. shoving back and forth. And it's really awkward. Very few people are, like, good at throwing a punch. Well, that that's why I think it, it worked. It, you I could totally tell that those it. two actors and probably Edgar Omar, the director, like, had some... They've seen or been oh, yeah. in some fights, I'm sure. No and doubt. They, they brought that to it, and it really worked for me. <laughs> you, you brought up... um that extensive uh, interesting camera move and i mean how it shot was great and a couple highlights for me like when the all the satanists arrive the party of satanists below mm. and it has these like handful this handful of cutaways to them just these sort of oh, looking reaction so shots yes those shots are everything to me tim like yes. they're they're just my everything i love that stuff well and they do something very smart with that is that 
I think a lot of the time when you try to use these these off kilter wide angle close ups to mm-hmm. make people look odd, what a, I think you see often is that every person that they cut to they use the same lens and sort of the same angle and it's in it, the p- camera's positioned pretty much in the same place. This uses like five different ones. Each person that they show is from a different angle with a slightly different lens. Like a couple of them are super wide and the faces are distorted and they're really close up, but a couple of them are like low to high from a totally unnatural angle, almost like you're a kid looking yeah. up at somebody. And mixing that up in that moment is so fucking effective. Mm -hmm. Like the lesson being, if you're going to do a specialty shot like that or a series of them, don't match them. Make them totally slightly different, but still off kilter and whatever. Like make each one of them unique to to themselves because it just builds upon itself and makes it that much more fucking weird and awesome. Beautiful little sequence. Oh, it's it's great. And uh, my other uh, standout, you know, way it was shot moment was uh, when he's first, what, sorry, when Boris Karloff is sh- first showing Bela Lugosi his lair and the preserved women. Mm. Um, it's the scene sort of ends with him monologuing at him, but rather than just looking at him talk, we like, it, it, it's not necessarily like a point of view, but it's a sort of like a free camera point of view just going through the mausoleum area where it just kind of floats along, floats toward the fl- floats past some walls, floats up to the staircase. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just something I hadn't quite... I feel like maybe I've seen it before, but it, I can't immediately recall. But just a really interesting technique of sort of using this, like, setting as character yeah. as a way to... Do, as is something like, all right, well, rather than just looking at these dudes talk more, which we already have a lot, Ugh. what else can we do? And it was really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, let's see, I, what else do I have here? Um, We kind of covered most of my, my Music. Things. Well, I'm going to get there. Okay. I put that in things of note, should I? Well, but well, let's just say the score is awesome. And this is unusually for the time, it's almost wall to wall music, mm-hmm. which generally wasn't happening I back think those, then. those early 30s movies, for sure, like Dracula. And- yes, it's very little music. But this is like 80% of the mu- movie has music on yeah. it, which is a, well, quite a lot. Like, I mean, if what worked for me is I have the same note that I had with X-Day, which was recurring themes mm-hmm. throughout. So this yeah. one, we had, of course, the the lover's theme. Yep. Which, what, what what's the piece called? So that's actually Tchaikovsky. It's, Rome, it's, it's not actually the Tchaikovsky Romeo and Juliet score, like, or, or It's in it piece. from Swan it, Lake. No, it's it's a knockoff of Romeo and Juliet. Oh. The Tchaikovsky Romeo and Juliet. Again and again throughout it. But it's like it but starts it is so I I looked this okay. up. It is a knockoff. It so they couldn't for some reason legally use the actual music. Like the, well, the well, score. I mean, so they just made their own version but, of it. It's so similar, but it is But I feel like different. that was never a question because you hear how it's its that's own right. score. But I think that's what makes it even fucking better. Mm-hmm. Is that they're not just regurgitating a piece that we all know. They're they're kind of 
finessing it to fit into this particular it you first hear it at the beginning when it's showing the cast of characters Mm -hmm. it just pulls me right in yeah like i just go to that place where you i'm just like in this old theater back in the 30s it's sincerely getting caught up and like ah these these lovers who are about to go through some the yeah (laughs) yeah no it's really good um and Uh, then there was one other little piece through it too right so the other main one that you hear a lot is, um, oh shoot, did I have that? Uh, it, there was one that we didn't really hear throughout, but was the Beethoven well, Seventh. Yeah, the Beethoven Seventh Symphony. It's the second movement. Oh, it's yeah. it's that. Um, I don't know how to sing it. Maybe let's put it in here, right here. <laughs> We're just gonna put a little piece of it right here. So, like, you've heard that. It's been in a bunch of shows. I know it most famously from Love Exposure. It's also in, the, like, me. the King's Speech and oh, right. a couple other things. It's pretty well known. Um, it's great. It's a really... And you use it mm, two-ish times? I just remember the once. Maybe just maybe. once. Okay. So, it's just... It's it's super effective. There's also... Um, there's a lot of Franz Liszt. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Franz Schubert. There's Brahms, there's Chopin, uh, Wait, there's obviously the Bach. Really? Because I I feel like this was just that one song pretty much it 95%. Felt like it, but they, are, they did this weird sort of mix and match thing where they're coming in mm. and out of different ones, which I think is really fucking yeah. cool for the time. That main theme, though, it just makes me go like, this is this, that classic magic is just coming at me. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I believe that's the Franz Liszt stuff that is sort of the the anchor. Mm. I think when no, I was no, looking I'm, through I'm talking it. about oh, the, you mean the the bo- or the um, Tchaikovsky one, the Tchaikovsky one, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very clearly the romance theme whenever the whenever Joan and Peter are sort of around. That's coming up. Um, I loved the brevity of this film. Mm. It was so refreshing to see something with like, there's so many movies with these B stories you don't care about or like these extended twists, you know, in mm-hmm. the final act. Like I noticed how much I was loving it when we were getting into the climax mode and I'm like, oh, this is just it happening. We are in it yeah. and it's and it just was just built up so cleanly. Um, yeah, I really appreciated that about it. Yeah, it does a good job. I mean, even for the time, a lot like a lot of those movies, just they're boring, right? Like the like we were saying, the first Dracula is a fucking slog. It's why people say the Spanish language one. Watch that instead, <laughs> dude. It so this, you know, in the beginning, there's a little bit of it's a little labored, just slightly. You still but, but man, that tension you, at the beginning of right. what is and what, still there. And once you get to the, I mean, once you get off the train, you've got a car accident. Once you get into the house everybody's a fucking creep right you have that first night which i talked about yeah yeah and and you also have these sort of weird design things that are going on that just keep you kind of to me kept me in it like every fucking door is a pocket door i'm like cool <laughs> like you know what i mean it's just like one added little odd design element that makes you that sort of keeps you engaged i mean that's a weird example but for a broader sense <laughs> like the the set design 
in in its entirety keeps you kind of hey, going something to look at right there's something to keep are you... no understatement they're cool <laughs> so you know they're even with a little bit of the the labored dialogue at times i think it gets on with it well and yeah. then you you know shit starts happening but even that like what you said maybe is dialogue that way i'm just eating it up because of who's saying it and what they're saying yeah no i'm with <laughs> that know? i'm with that um uh i i we pretty much covered all my stuff um, great let's move I on i think then. you you mentioned um the skinning scene yes. right yeah i think that's what extremely I effective yeah because they they do this, you know, they do this classic noir thing of like, we're going to like story wise, something really fucking intense is going to happen. But we're just going to show it to you on the wall on a shadow. And it's it's it, I think it's more effective. Oh, yeah. To cut away to the shadow and see him getting skinned that way. Well, just because we don't want to see it. What's you know most what I mean? effective to me about all that. I mean, that's kind of the, the easy example, I think, but it's just Bella Lugosi's delivery of just telling him, like, I'm going to skin you alive. <laughs> yes. It's and just so, up. and just with that same sort of what we kept, you know, the word I yeah. kept using, veneer of like, ah, oh, I'm dressed neatly and yeah. I have my manservant, <laughs> but I was in prison for 15 fucking years and I've been yeah. thinking about doing this for every single day. Yeah. And, and you know, the intrigue and sort of the twisty twistiness of his revenge plot, that's fucking good writing. Oh, yeah, we should mention that all that. That was good stuff. so good. Like, of... the backstory, why he's there, the fact that he chooses not to go after him early on, yeah. and he has this sort of, like, broader plan, he stole and his... think that plan has failed, and that he's turned on everybody, well, he but stole actually his he's wife turning back. and his daughter. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. After he killed his wife, then he just <laughs> married the daughter. Yeah. Like... Which is super fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And it was, so it was revenge for that and for, I guess there was some sort of um, betrayal of where they were in the war together at that location. Like he gave away yeah. their location or I mean, something. it's really, really layered, mm -hmm. which again, just doesn't seem like at the time you were, maybe you were, I don't know, maybe I'm just not well-versed enough, but it seems way more complicated than what I'm used to it's seeing. It's pretty great seeing... Um, Hearing your enthusiasm when I when we sat down for it, you're like, I'm gonna be oh, bored. Right. I go, I go. I have a feeling this is gonna be shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. It wasn't shit. It was fucking great. Great. Well, let's see if there's anything that didn't work for us. Okay. It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I have a couple things that are pretty whatever. They, they're not big complaints. Um, first and foremost, how many times are we going to watch Joan get picked up and put down That's... over and over? She's just getting picked up this whole movie. She gets picked up after the car accident. And then she gets yeah. picked up when she's in bed like three times. Peter picks her up and then the servant picks her up and then somebody else picks her up and Boris picks her It's like, dude, let the chick just lay there. Right. Give me a break. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I agree. I mean, I would put that under things of note. I mean, she's she's unconscious all those times. I mean, I guess. But it is frustrating when it's like, I mean, I don't know. It makes 
it makes sense for the story because Boris Karloff isn't obsessed with men and preserving them, you know. Yeah, yeah. As no. far as making her the classic helpless damsel. I really say it in jest. It's funny on the co- the cover. Is she being gay? <laughs> yeah. Look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like this whole movie Case is just her being carried around the only thing uh <laughs> the only thing that i really had was even though i loved its brevity and how short it was i felt like i just wanted a little more surrounding certain moments you know yeah, I, yeah. like like i listed all those things that were great about it that it had so but it's like each one of those aspects could have just had a little more just like yes this is we're yeah. gonna relish in this just for another minute yeah, I kind of felt that way about the Satanism stuff. Like, I wanted a little bit more to chew on. He's just reading that one page in bed. It's all yeah. we see. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I don't know what I what you would provide in this movie to, to fill that out, but it, I, I kind of wanted I more. Like more pomp and circumstance could have been given to everyone arriving and just what the ritual mm, itself sure, was. Yeah. But it, it worked great without that is the thing. Yeah, but yeah. I wasn't mad about it. So, I just, I it's... In a, in a good way, it's sort of like it, le- le- it left us wanting more, which is right. not a bad thing. Exactly. It's a testament to all that was working about it. So I had a couple little things of like, I think it's just, it's sort of a, it is, it is what it is. Um, the sound is the sound, you know, of the time. <laughs> it's It's hard. I think there are limitations and... It's not always so. Great what didn't sound, work but... for you is 1930s microphones. Yeah, but in particular, uh, Bella Lugosi is sort of notoriously known for for having really bad English. Like he he barely he muddled his way through a lot of the early stuff by just learning what he was saying Phonet- phonetically. Yeah. Like he didn't even know what he was saying. He's just doing the phonetics of it. <laughs> and there are a number of times in this movie when I could not understand anything he was saying and it bummed me out only because i was like fuck i just i don't know what he said like i just am missing stuff i did okay once we turned the volume up yeah i still had a hard time with him which is a bummer um nothing against him it just is what it is yeah i I usually i hate subtitles some people are obsessed Mm -hmm. with like always having them on but i'd forgive someone for wanting them on this one (laughs) yeah um what is this uh, I guess the only the only other thing is sort of at times I'm saying this after we've just sort of commended the story and the the depth of the story, but in cert in a certain way, it did feel to me that it was almost like in a writer's room they had a whiteboard up probably a chalkboard back then <laughs> and they just had a list of cool ideas that they wanted to use either bella or boris in another in a film coming up and they to me in a lot of ways this movie feels like they just grabbed everything from that list and said okay let's figure it out and see how we can make th- a movie i don't remember this. what it was but i'm i read i read somewhere just kind of reading notes for that, that this was based on some kind of like like a specific idea did inspire the director mm. on this one and they built it around that well, and it, cool. and then just you know matched it with okay what the black cat has a as a yeah, imagery which is super odd that this Edgar Allan Poe 
connection. Right. If I was a huge Edgar Allan Poe fan, I might put that in things that didn't work for me. But yeah, I, I put it just that it's the thinnest of thin connections, which is so I don't know. Whatever. It, it we doesn't got this work. Movie. It just is what it is. It's fine. And it's a neat symbology when you kind of think about it as the black cat. He talks about like, oh, ancient times, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I saw all black cats as the representation of evil. So right. just that's what we hang our hat on of what sort of why the whole film would be called this. Yeah, I think partially, though, that that's what I feel. That's what I'm honing in on when I feel like they're kind of taking ideas and just sh not shoehorning them, but sort of shoehorning being mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's a cool idea. Black cats are this. Let's just throw it in. And it's not really connected to anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any sort of deeper symbolic meaning. I did that is at yeah. least that I could glean. I don't know. Something about the combination I'm, of I'm them. I'm fine with it. Yeah. But it does feel like they're kind of just throwing throwing shit in the pot. It felt more like, though, if, if let's say they had a hundred things and they're like, you got to pick ten of them mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm. a movie out of. It would be this sort of more like this was genius choosing these ten because they I, all I do totally work together. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yes, yes. And um, and like I said, like I think the movie is fucking good. I, so I didn't have anything else that didn't work for me. Can we just? I don't think I did either. Uh, but I I mean I wasn't. I mean it was. I don't know if it. It's not that it didn't work, but the fucking killing of the cat was. I was like, what the fuck is oh, going I mean, on? I hate that. Yeah. I don't kill animals in movies. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's go to things of note. Things of note. <laughs> this should be interesting. I we've I to be honest, we a lot of these are kind of things that work, but Well, something that tickled me when watching like a bunch of the Universal horror movies um it would i would just get so excited whenever it came up because it does most of the time is at the end credits it says a good cast is worth repeating like in quotes <laughs> at the top of the yeah, cast I list <laughs> i love that and then also just sort of the wording at the beginning of this yeah. where it says um suggest uh, the, during the title suggested by the immortal edgar Allan poe classic like it's yeah. just, just a funny way for them to say roundabout. Like, it's got nothing to do with it. We just suggested by. Like, right. Which, on. in a weird way, like, I looked up what the Edgar Allan Poe story really is, and there is zero. Yeah. There's two, there are only two things that are, have a connection. It was a funny. He yeah. kills his cat. Or mm -hmm. he, he. Afraid of him? No, he, um, he doesn't kill it. He actually, he, he, this is really gruesome. He like pokes out its eyes with a pen knife. Mm. And so I think Bella throwing a letter opener sure, or whatever that was is their like sort of overlapping. What? And and then the the keeping of the dead like like uh Boris in a fit of rage kills Karen Karen number 2 daughter Karen. And in the Black Cat story, the le the main guy, the narrator, kills his wife in mm -hmm. a fit of rage. Like, so, okay, that's it. I just love how it was, um, like, the studio's way of just, we just need Edgar Allan Poe's name there. That's right, so, yeah. So it's not, it's not based on, what do we say? Uh, it's not inspired by... Uh, 
How about suggested by? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, like ooh, Edgar ooh. Allan Poe showed up and was like, hey, guys, hey, guys, I got a suggestion for you. It's called The Black Cat. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Don't read it. Just The Black Cat. But I could just see all those like um, all those words on their chalkboard inspired yeah. by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suggested by. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm fine with it. Whatever. It, it, it's cool. This was one of oh. This was just one of a small handful of Edgar Allan Poe films that Universal made. Yeah, but at the time, that stuff and psychiatry and sort of, you know, the intrigue of of just the uh, what am I trying to say? Like that genre of things of like psych- psychology and because yeah, Boris Karloff or uh, Bela Lugosi was a psychiatrist in this, I believe, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that all of that stuff was just sort of in the whatever, in the in, in the the zeitgeist. zeitgeist. Yeah. The I mean, it was just people were into that shit, so they're trying to take advantage of it. So that's cool. Um interestingly, the this was not um originally called Black Cat. Oh yeah, what was it? House of Doom. <laughs> which I think is a fucking cool title too. I would I, like I'd be into that. <laughs> Pretty Kind of I think accurate. it works with this movie. Yeah. Um, I guess they released it in the UK under that name mm. and then changed it after the fact for whatever reason. Well, it must have done well because I, I learned that this was Universal's top grossing film of the year. It was. Yeah. So it did do well. Yeah. Which shit. I'm kind of curious what else was out that year that it was competing with. It's probably just more that it was, you know, people have always loved horror. And also that it's these two these together two, for yeah. the first time. Yeah, so this was I the first of, I have seven, but you have eight. Uh, I have this as the seven that they made together, and this was the, yeah, this was I the saw first eight, one. But maybe I misread it. Um, and a good <laughs> why, way to start out with a bang, too. Really? I, I'm Now I kind of want to watch some of the other ones and see if the, they're The Raven was the next, was the other Poe one. Oh, cool. Um, so if that's and that has a jumping both of off them? point, yeah, with oh, both nice. of them. I'll check that out. Uh, what else did I, I mean, have? Edgar Ulmer, just, uh, he's so a good, interesting guy, but, um, just if, uh, a thing of note, if you want to know, you know, just a little something about who he was, he's generally known for direct being, being tasked by studios, I guess, Universal more specifically to, uh, direct B movies hmm. and sort of brought something always brought a sort of intensity or something interesting to them. He sort of, this is a high, low directors was giving yeah. sort of, you know, what it was thought of as low assignments, but was able to elevate them That's somehow. Cool. And, um, people say that is maybe in no small part to his influence working with Fritz Lang on, mm-hmm. on, um, Metropolis and oh, all best. that. The best. Being I love a, Metropolis. Being a, a state, sta- cutting, cutting things out for, mm-hmm. The stage and all that. I don't know. I forget the word. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> you did that stuff. Yeah. Spiral staircases, dude. Yeah. Spiral staircases. And um, shadows. Great. Anything else noteworthy? That's all I got. About the black cat. Oh, I do have one other thing. I'm sorry. What? Um, This was... I have two things. Sorry. This was um. the guy who played Peter, David Manners was Jonathan Harker. He's sort of the lead in Dracula. Oh, great. In the previous Dracula. But more, I think, more of note, this movie falls into what's called the pre-Hayes Code era. So the Hayes Code was a censorship code that came in in like 
36 or something like that. Um, and so there's this brief period in film where there was no censorship coding at all. They could do whatever the fuck they want. And I think you really notice it in, in one of the stupidest Hayes Code rules, which is kisses have to be limited to like, there's like, I don't remember the actual rule, but it's like you can only see three on-screen kisses and they can only last for like two and a half seconds. It's something fucking dumb and arbitrary like that. But mm-hmm. in this one, man, you know, Peter and Joan, are they're fucking all over each other and mm-hmm. like, you know, making out and the kisses are sort of, impassion and nice and cool and whatever and so it shows i think if this movie had been attempted to be made post Hayes code you would not get that skinning scene right and i mean no fucking way oh that's that's kind of what i wanted to say about how you know i was liking i was almost wanting a little more surrounding certain moments i wouldn't doubt that they did have that i think i read that they had been um that even you know despite it was pre-haze they were still cutting a lot of concern just for yeah just the, the subject general, matter they were like are people gonna be able to swallow this <laughs> yeah. kind of thing yeah but man fuck the haze code is so dumb well i think we did i'm, I'm very anti-haze code pretty sure it's over oh okay cool which is good now we just have the what is it like the m m p p a a or something like that we still have our ratings for our films <laughs> which are like super sexist but totally cool with violence yeah <laughs> anyway that's all i've got for this one okay great let's do recommendations cool get this episode going wrap it up i um i you oh oh, oh this used to be on our list that's why you brought it up and i'm like no i want to recommend edit but I've seen it on Netflix, like the poster for it, and was kind of like, oh, whatever. It's called Tale of Tales. Oh, sure, and yeah. And Salma Hayek and John C. Riley on it. Which, it's, yeah. I, I, I read the description, and it just sounded like a kind of bad anthology. But it's it's great. It's not like, it's not necessarily a horror film. I, I, oh. It's one of those where I debate it. It more, it was funny. I was like talking about wanting to watch like fantasy movies at the time and like Terry Gilliam and stuff mm. like that. And our friend, um, friend Max, you know, Tim was sure. like, okay, I got you. You haven't seen Tale of Tales. It's promise. Uh, I promise you it's going to scratch all of those itches. Huh. I'm like, okay. And it did. It was so great. So, and it kind of interwove these different stories based on old, old, I don't know, fantasy fables in a, in like a trick or treat way where what they weren't just split up. I haven't seen trick or treat. Oh, I need to see Jesus, it. Jesus, Tim. I know it, um, but it's, I think it's on something right yeah. now. I just caught it. But it, yeah, it interweaves the stories versus just sort of one after another. They're kind of all ongoing. And it's just got the quirk to it that I just love. Okay. Um, it's I think it was is Spanish or something like that, the filmmaker, where okay. when, when you're watching it, you just go, oh, this makes sense. This is as far as like how weird some of these things, <laughs> things are that happen in it. Cool. And I just loved it for all of that. And I highly recommend it. That's good because I've avoided it specifically because i just didn't look like something i would be into but now that you've said that i'm gonna fucking have to watch it interesting (laughs) okay so mine i don't know if i've ever mentioned this but i have a real soft spot for ghost shit like i don't like ghost movies like i don't like haunting movies that much but having said that in real life the idea of ghosts is very intriguing to me and like I like the idea of going in like ghost hunting and I liked all those shitty ghost hunting shows. <laughs> so the other night I was 
you know, trying to get my ghost fix, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on YouTube and was looking up like, you know, fucking ghost footage <laughs> videos. Yeah. And I came across the thing that I sort of been looking for, you know, because most of that shit on YouTube is shit. It's uh, or it's just it's a it's like a, a joke anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like scariest ghost footage ever. And then like somebody in a sheet walks you know, across camera and goes, Ooh, and that's it. And it's like, fuck you. 8 million views. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I found a channel, a YouTube channel that is a guy who is being haunted and he's just filming what's going on. Now, don't get me wrong. I think he's probably just a guy who is creating these effects and that's fine. But he's doing a pretty fucking good job at it. Like, I, you know, you think, oh, that that chair moved. He probably just monofilament and they're just pulling it across the floor or whatever. There is that stuff. But there is stuff in here where I'm like, holy fuck. If, like, how the fuck did he do that? <laughs> so from, a, from even just a filming, like, point of view, he's doing a good job. What's it called? Um, his name is Michael D. McGee. Um, you can, like, his page is just his name, so it doesn't have a special name or anything, so it's Michael D, like, middle initial. Documenting his haunting, possibly. Yeah, and so my recommendation is to go to his page and go to the first playlist that he has. It has 162 (laughs) videos, and just start at the beginning. I I got through probably, and a lot of them are short, you know, like a minute long or whatever, but... I probably got through 20 of them or something like that and was totally satisfied. Like, it's cool. So I'm going to keep watching it. It's fun. Who the fuck knows if ghosts exist? I, I'm not who, like, I'm not going to make a judgment. I think it's fun and weird and creepy. That sounds really fun, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's very paranormal activity-ish, you know? And they even cop to that. So whatever. It's so, cool. Check it out. So after recommendations, um, we have a new, this is where we oh, do our new segment. Oh, oh, oh. I'm so excited. So we've previously just, you know, said what film we're doing next. Now we have, we took all the films that we, in a list that we want to watch and, and printed them out and put them in a hat. And now this is some suggestions that I've gotten from other people, you know, hopefully some of you listening, but this is a, this is an open hat. You can, you can tell us what you'd like us to review and we will. We'll, we'll throw it in the it. hat. Yeah. We'll throw it. In That's the sound of the, the, the pieces of paper in my hat. Oh shit! Too fell out. <laughs> I mean, I don't, don't pick those. You don't have to stir it. It's like I want to stir it. I'm so excited. I, oh, just, I lost another one. I know. Just chill out. <laughs> I can't. I'm so excited. Okay. I had two rock stars. I, I want to let you. I'm gonna let Tim draw me? it out then. Then you hold it. Okay. You hold it and I'll draw. All I'm right. covering my so eyes. So this is next week's film. Next week's film is Wreck 2. Yeah. Sweet. I love. Okay. So the first. So that goes in there. I'll tell you about the time I saw the first wreck in next episode. Oh, great. It was, uh, it was really cool. Should I watch the first wreck before I watch the second one? Because I haven't seen it. I've only seen the the American remake. The reason I put on Wreck 2 is because. I heard Wreck 2 is better. We've seen Wreck 1. Just watch Wreck 1 before we see it. Cool. Great. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too, man. So, oh, you can find us at dismemberinghorror.com, and that links to our social medias. Yeah. Yeah, we're on all those things, so check them out. Great. Until next time, watch Rec 2. Yes. See you guys. Bye.